You're listening to the weekly podcast by Forest Hill Church. Here you'll find a place to grow in your faith, get to know what the Bible's all about, and hear what it looks like to follow Christ. To watch our services live or find the campus nearest you, visit foresthill.org. If you're a parent, search for our new Forest Hill Parenting Podcast and subscribe to get new content tailored just for you. A year and a half ago, I moved from New York to Charlotte. I thought I had a plan. I had my own plan, but I did not have God's plan in mind at all when I moved. I didn't know anyone in town at all except for the boyfriend who was close by that I had moved for. Once that relationship ended, the week I moved here, I realized I had no one. All of my family and my friends at the time kept telling me everything is going to be okay, everything will work out, everything has a reason, but at that time I had no idea what that reason was and I couldn't find a way out. So at the time I'm alone in this apartment by myself and I realize I know one person in Charlotte. I don't even know her that well. I found her on Facebook and I sent her a note that I'd like to meet up with her and that meeting completely changed my life. She said she was bringing a friend with her. Well, that friend turned out to be my future life group leader, Robin, and at the time I didn't know it. I don't know what it was about them, but I just wanted to be friends with them. I wanted to get to know them better, and it was a different type of conversation than I've had with any of my friends. And at the time I was having it, I really couldn't figure out why. I thought if I was going to join a life group through this church randomly, I should go to the church first. Ended up at two services back to back. I didn't feel like I had a home in Charlotte, and I just felt so lost. and. Right when I needed it, God placed this incredible group of women in my life, and He gave me a home I didn't even know I needed. I knew there had to be a reason I moved here. I didn't move here for nothing. And now I know I moved here to build my relationship with God that I didn't even know needed to be built. I don't even think the girls realize the impact they've had on my life. and where I was a year ago to where I am now, and the impact that these women have completely changed my life in more ways than one. <laughs> you know, because like holidays, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, like, no, we yeah. Thanksgiving, like Easter, yeah. we all hung out. Like, yeah. we're all, it really is for each other. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like a sister. Uh-huh. Just from one person asking me about my faith and about my life group, that one question completely changed everything for me. Would you thank Nicole for sharing her story? Um, for those of you who, who don't know, Charlotte has an average of around 100 people a day who move to this city, and about 20 of them are millennials. And, and that may be some of you here today looking for community. You know, the Bible said uh, it's not good for people to live alone. God intended for us to live in community with one another. And our way here at Forest Hills, trying to connect people as quickly as possible to community is life groups. We'll have another one this week, as Jonathan said. And we really invite you to be a part of a place where you can be safe with other people in a circle, share your heart, and they share their hearts with you so that you can grow in your relationship with the Lord. The truth is, though, isn't it, that... Because of the fall in Genesis 3, because something really malevolent entered this world, our relationships are broken. 
And we have a lot of difficult people in our lives, don't we, who've hurt us. In fact, in some ways, we're a difficult person for other people. So I want to deal with a section of scripture from Luke, the sixth chapter, from what's commonly called the Sermon on the Plain in Luke. Uh, Matthew 6 is the Sermon on the Mount, two different sermons with some similar teachings. But this one from Luke 6, we're hanging around in Luke for some months now on how Jesus counsels us to deal with difficult people. I know in my life I, I have difficult people. I sometimes get letters from people that are very caustic and very critical. Um, I remember one that I received and I opened it up and all it said on it was fool. F-O-O-L, fool. And I thought to myself, you know, from time to time I get letters where people express their criticisms and never sign their names, but this is the first time ever I've just gotten a letter where the person signed their name. That, that, that's not a true story, by the way, but I thought it was funny. I read it online. I thought it would be something I could use. But the truth is, we all have critical, negative people in our lives, don't we? So we need help on how to deal with them. And if we're that person, some help on getting the log out of our own eye, which is today's text. Out of reverence for the reading of the scripture, if you're able, would you please stand? From the Sermon on the Plain, Luke the 6th chapter Verses 37 through 42, this is the word of the Lord. Jesus said, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. For those of you who don't know, that's a word for a story, an illustration to make Jesus' point. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Good teaching, the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So how do you deal with difficult people in your lives? Jesus addresses it here from the Sermon on the Plain. First of all, he begins with a don't, two things. First of all, don't judge those people. Don't be critical. Don't find fault with them. Another way of saying that is don't write them off in your life. Don't write them off. Don't judge them. Secondly, don't condemn them. Don't critique them. Again, don't write them off in your life. The bottom line with judging and condemning is basically a person who says, I don't want you in my life anymore. I'm tired of you. Gone. And Jesus says, don't do that. For they're people of value, even though they're difficult people in your life. I died for them as well. 
John 3, 17, right after that famous verse in John 3, 16, where Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he sent his son into the world and he died on the cross to forgive us, to give us the gift of eternal life. In verse 17, Jesus said, for I, the son, did not come to condemn the world, but to love it. He didn't come to write us off. Aren't you glad for that? He could have, for in his eyes, we were difficult people in our rebellion and our sin. But he didn't. He came from heaven to earth to love us and to give us the gift of love even to those who are difficult people in our lives. So don't judge. Don't condemn them. Don't write difficult people off. You can't do that. But then he says do, and he gives us two things to do. First, forgive. Forgive. What's the definition of forgiveness? It is the refusal to retaliate. I can't speak for you, but when someone has hurt me, I want them to suffer as much, if not more, than the way they've hurt me, right? Jesus says, don't do it. Forgiveness should be your action, and that's letting them go. It's releasing them and not holding a grudge and wanting them to suffer not just as much, but even more than you've suffered. And then uh, he teaches the whole idea of what's called the law of reciprocity, Whatever you give out, you'll get back. If you give out judgment and condemnation to other people, that's what's going to come back to you. Ephesians 4.32, Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament in the Bible, said, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ, what folks? Forgave you. So forgiveness, the refusal to retaliate, is rooted mostly in the knowledge of the great debt that God in Christ has paid for you. I am convinced your ability to forgive other people is in direct proportion to how much you know God has paid your penalty. If you think God just paid a little dab of your debt, that's how much you'll love other people. But if you believe God forgave a huge debt, unpayable, you'll forgive other people with that kind of love and forgiveness. So I can't speak for you, but I just know in my life, I was born with a condition that rebelled against God. As any government in the world knows, anyone who commits high treason receives the death penalty. As I look at the moral law and God's standard for loyalty to him, I know I've broken every single one of the Ten Commandments and more so. I've rebelled against God, I've lied, I've cheated, I've dishonored him in so many ways, and the tenth one's always the one that gets me. Thou shalt not, anybody know what? Covet. Compare, compete, trying to be better than other people. My pride is exacerbated. And God looks at my life and he realizes I'm guilty, and the debt that needs to be paid, I can't pay by my works. I can't. No way. It's a zillion-dollar debt. So God knew that, and in his love, he became one of us, and he took on all the penalty, the capital punishment for my treachery on the cross. He died in my place and then offers me the forgiveness of my debt and then fills me with his love so that I can live close and intimately with him for the rest of my life. Now, because of that zillion-dollar debt that's been paid on my behalf, then when I deal with difficult people who've hurt me, I can pay off a $100 debt toward them. You with me? That's what forgiveness is. And if you realize the great debt that God in Christ has paid for you, then you can begin to forgive those who've hurt you, those difficult people who continue to hurt you. 
I saw an illustration of forgiveness this past week. It shocked me, but it was powerful. Dr. Larry Nasser, the Michigan State doctor, abused hundreds of young girls, even their prepubescent days. And it was awful what he did to them. And he was finally outed, brought to court, and the judge pronounced a sentence upon him that puts him in prison for over 100 years. One dad of one of the young girls who was abused appeared in court and asked for just a moment to speak. And the judge granted him that. And he said, Judge, may I have five minutes alone with that guy? And the judge said, no. We, we don't operate that way in our judicial system, no. Then he said, could I have one minute alone with him? And the judge said, well, well, no. And then some of you saw the video that went viral. He bolted toward Dr. Nasser, And he had to be caught before he got to him and restrained and handcuffed. And I got to admit, folks, I watched it. And I thought of my little Bethany, my firstborn. And I believe with all my heart a part of daddy overseeing is to be a guardian and protector of my family, especially my little princess. And if that guy had done to my Bethany what he did to that little girl and I was that dad, I would have rushed toward him too. In fact, in Twitter world, I saw somebody tweet, his face should be on Mount Rushmore, <laughs> that dad. It, he, his face should be indelibly etched in the American economy for all dads to look at. And I found myself going, man, I get that. Put up his face right now. And so this week, I told Marilyn that. I shared with her the video, and I said, you know what? That'd been me. I think I'd have run toward him as well. You know what Marilyn said to me? That's not what Gentry would have done. <laughs> now, now, for those of you who don't know, Gentry and Hadley Eddings, uh, he's the campus pastor at our Ballantine campus. And several years ago, they were rear-ended by a box truck. Their two-year-old and the nine-month-old in Hadley's womb were both killed instantly. They went through the grief process. It was horrible. The trial was held for this guy. And by the way, if Gentry was here today, he'd say two things. The guy plowed into the back of their truck because, first of all, he was texting and they would say to all of you, don't you text and drive. They're little ones in the cars around you. Secondly, he was filled with drugs. And, and if you're DUIing in any way, don't, Gentry would say. They're little ones all around you. But Gentry is a great man of God. He's received his payment from the Lord. His debt was huge. God paid it through Christ and at the sentencing of this man to go spend decades in prison, Gentry stood up and told this young man he forgave him. It was a powerful, powerful moment. Hadley as well. So in a way, Gentry and Hadley are, are St. Gentry and Hadley, aren't they? As they expressed forgiveness to someone who robbed them this week I was with Gentry, and I shared with him the story of the father rushing toward Dr. Nasser, and I said, you know what, Marilyn said to me, Gentry wouldn't have done that, and I just want to tell you, Gentry said to me, you know what, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder, 
he said, you know, the, the guy who killed my two sons didn't do it intentionally. He was texting and his body was ridden with drugs. It wasn't intentional. It was stupid, but it wasn't intentional. And he said, but if somebody intentionally hurt one of my children, especially a daughter, he says, I, I'm just not so sure. You just need to know St. Gentry, at least, is not a plaster saint. <laughs> that, that he has his own weaknesses, as we do. And forgiveness is not easy, is it? It's hard, especially if someone really has hurt you. But yet, folks, we need to do it. Why? It, it, for the health of society, because if we keep retaliating, the anger is etched higher every day and we'll keep retaliating in such a way that eventually we kill each other as gandhi said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth means ultimately we're sightless and toothless but secondly it's for your benefit it's for my benefit because as you've heard me say often to hold bitterness in your heart because a difficult person is irascible ultimately if you don't forgive that's like drinking arsenic and expecting the other person to die. That means that person who hurt you continues to hurt you. And if that person has died, that person continues to hurt you from the grave. Forgive. Let them go. Release them to God. For society's benefit, for your personal benefit. So, forgive. But also, secondly, give. It was interesting that several gymnasts with Dr. Nasser looked him in the eye. They didn't call him Dr. Nasser. They didn't think he was worthy of being called doctor. They said, Mr. Nasser, I forgive you. I forgive you. But, but then Jesus has taken a step further and give to them. You know, return evil with good. So how in the world do we give to people who've hurt us? Jesus uses this verse in Luke 6, 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, unbelievably, this is a verse that prosperity preachers use all the time, that if you'll just give your money, you're going to get wealthy. And it's interesting that Luke 6, 38 really is within the context of relationships. It's in the context of people. But it's nevertheless true. It is called the law of reciprocity. It means whatever you give out in life, you'll get back. Uh, Paul, who wrote again two-thirds of the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, said it this way. If you spread just a few seeds in your land, if you sow sparingly, you'll have a crop that's sparing. But if you throw out a lot of seeds... Your crop will be in abundance. If you sow abundantly, you'll reap abundantly. So whatever you give out will come back to you. And Jesus uses an illustration here from his day where a person would go to the market and they would have like an apron on. They would get the grain they needed for their day to fix the food for their families. And they'd put the apron out and the person would scoop out the grain. And then the person would shake the apron in order for the shaft to fall off and for the board to be more grain there. And then they put more and more and more in there, keep shaking it until it not only got to the top, until it flows over. 
The best illustration I can give you is movies and popcorn. When you order a big bucket of popcorn, the guy puts it in, and what does he do? He what? He shakes it so it'll even out, and you're thinking, shake some more, brother, shake some more, because you want as much popcorn as you can for the movie. And he puts some more in there, and he shakes it, and he shakes it, and he puts some more in there, and he shakes it, and what you ultimately want is not just for the box to be full, you want what? The bucket to have a cone over it so you'll have as much popcorn as possible. That's the illustration Jesus uses here, just not with popcorn, but with grain. And the whole idea is, the more you give, the more that's going to be given back to you. In every area of life, it's true, folks, the law of reciprocity. Now, interestingly, though this verse really is about relationships, it is true in the area of money. I wish I could convince all of you to take the first 10% and give it to God. Call the tithe. I wish you'd do that because the Bible promises you'll experience the miraculous. Ephesians 3.20 now unto him who's able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond what we could imagine. God's able to do that. Beyond what we could even think he's able to give to us. Marilyn and I have experienced it. You can't outgive God. If you have a fist with your finances, don't expect anything back from God. But when you are generous and open up your fist, God gives back to you in abundance. It's true. You can't outgive God is the euphemism. But it's not just true with money. It's true with our words, isn't it? If you give out critical and negative words, what's going to be given back to you? Critical and negative words. The proverb verse that says life and death is in the tongue is right. If you give out death with your tongue, you'll get death words back. If you give out life with your tongue, you'll get life words back. It's true with condemnation and judgmentalism. That's what Jesus said here. Judge not and you'll not be judged. Condemn not and you'll not be condemned. If you give out judgmentalism, writing people off, if you condemn other people, writing them off, people are going to write you off. And you'll become an island unto yourself. It has to do with friends. Here's what my mama said to me all the time. See if you can complete it. Dave, if you want friends... Be a friend. Your mom and my mom knew each other, huh? If you want friends, be a friend. What is that? It's the law of reciprocity. Next week, we're going to look at Jesus' teaching, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. That's what he's saying. You give out mercy, you'll get back mercy. And the same thing's true here with difficult people. If you give to them, if you love them, if you do good for them, that's what's going to come back to you. Maybe not from them, but it will come back to you because it's a law of the universe. Whatever you sow, you'll eventually reap. So people ask me all the time, well, okay, I've been hurt deeply by somebody or I have a difficult person in my life. How in the world do I bless those who've hurt me? How do I pray for my persecutors as Jesus commanded? I mean, they really, really hurt me. Well, let me give you a few thoughts. First of all, pray that they'll meet Jesus. That's the best blessing they could have, isn't it? Pray that that difficult person in your life will come into a personal, deep, abiding faith in Jesus and all their anger and bitterness will be replaced with his love. Ask for that life change to occur. That they will move from their prickliness to hope. Do good to them. Well, how might that happen? 
I know one guy who really hurt another guy. And then as the years went by, this person forgave the other guy. But at some point, his son, the guy who did the hurt, got cancer. And this guy over here said, I'm commanded to do good even to those who've hurt me, even to my enemies. So what he did was he gave an anonymous gift online to help find a cure for his enemy's son's cancer. Folks, that's doing good. So maybe you give an anonymous gift in this person's name to some cause for Christ in the world. You, you do good for that person. You refuse to speak ill of them. Isn't it amazing how we Christians love to do spiritual gossip? Oh, would you please pray for blank? He's such a jerk. <laughs> would you please lift up so-and-so and let me tell you what they did to me? You refuse to speak ill of them. And I know with people who've hurt me, this is a tough one. But I've chosen to the world to say, yes, he or she's a good person. They're, they're trying their best. Because if you speak ill of them, you're committing slander, and that's what's going to come back on you. So a way of doing good is refusing to speak ill of those difficult people, those people who've hurt you in your life. So I want you to think just for a second who those people may be. I'm going to give you an inventory right now of what prickly, difficult people are like and see if there's any person like this in your life. Or again, maybe you're this person to somebody else. A difficult person never admits he's wrong. is always critical of other people. She's never open to feedback. He is self-righteous and not humble. She never apologizes, never. She never admits she's wrong, and he doesn't ever desire to change. He avoids working on issues in his life. He's lazy, and he travels on the most dangerous path anyone can travel on in this world, the path of least resistance. She demands trust from others rather than earn it and always says, you need to accept me just the way I am. He blames others instead of truly taking responsibility to get well. She's not growing, but remaining stagnant in life. And this difficult person never, ever seeks feedback from another person. Anybody have someone like that in your life? Again, are you that person? Well, Jesus gives an idea of how to handle people like this. And it's mostly found in a parable or a story that he shared. First of all, he says, remove the log from your own eye before you go 
to get the speck out of another's. He asked, can a blind man lead a blind man? Here's what he's saying is that a mentor who has a mentee can't be blind because if he's blind, then his mentee is blind, and ultimately they'll both fall into a ditch. So for a mentor, he's got to know the truth. He's got to see the light in order to lead other people. So he's saying to those of us who are his followers, make sure you see clearly as you deal with difficult people. And he says a pupil isn't greater than his teacher, which is true, isn't it? If you're learning from a mentor, the mentor just wants to teach you what he knows. And what happens to the mentor is going to happen to you. And then Jesus gives some very clear instruction. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in others? Now, you need to know that our culture uses this verse to shut up Christians. When a Christian tries to speak to the culture about its sexual craziness or its continued argumentativeness or any other evil that may be out there, when people are especially living that lifestyle, what they say to Christians are, you're judging me. And your own Bible says, don't judge me. They try to use this verse to shut us up. And they are not understanding what this verse is saying. Jesus says, don't judge, don't condemn, because that's what's going to come back on you. But when you're dealing with difficult people, you are to go to them, but first you are to confront the log that's in your own eye. You're supposed to deal with your own sinfulness, your own rebellion, your own treachery before God. So how does this happen? I'll give you two thoughts. One is go to your spouse who lives with you every day or go to a close friend who sees you regularly and ask this question. Let's do a lumber inventory. (laughs) Point out my logs. Show me that big log especially in my eye. My, My faults, my blind spots, please show me. And then listen to what your close friend or spouse will say to you. And if they really love you, (laughs) they'll tell you. Secondly, I dare you to do this. Get alone with God, Psalm 4610, be still and know that I'm God. Take some time regularly to get alone with God for confession of your sin. Ask the Father in heaven, Father, reveal to me my logs. Now, you're going to have to do a couple things here for this to happen. First of all, you're going to have to fast from social media. Social media consumes so much of our time. We're so busy with it, we can't ever get quiet. And you know the primary emotion that's created on social media? Jealousy. Because you compare your insides with somebody else's outsides. And none of your people on social media ever share their weaknesses. Never. They always share their good stuff. And it creates envy. In our hearts, we start to compete and compare, which is dangerous for our eternal souls. So fast from social media and go away, sit with God and say, God, reveal my logs. Guess what? He 
will. And then after you've had this revelation from either your spouse, close friends, or from God, Jesus clearly says, then go to your difficult person. Go to them and try to remove the speck that's in their eyes. Question, how many of you have ever gotten a speck of dust in your eyes? Is it fun? No, it's painful. And when somebody has a speck in their eyes, often they just have to widen their eyes as big as they can and somebody else come and dab the speck out. So once you've dealt with your own junk, your own logs, then you go to that person with grace, kindness, and empathy that you've already received from the Father. And then you ask if you can remove that speck or confront them with issues in their lives. And if you come with grace, kindness, and mercy, they'll be most likely willing to let you try to deal with their difficultness, their speck in their own eyes. Nowhere does this verse ever suggest that Christians are never to confront the sin in other people's lives. Nowhere is this verse ever supposed to be a way to silence Christians in the culture. It simply says, before you go to confront the junk in other people, make sure you've spent radical moments dealing with the logs in your own eyes. And I can't speak for you, but if I go humbly to another person with the purpose of helping them, most likely they'll hear what I've got to say. So that's what Jesus is teaching here with difficult people. Don't judge, don't condemn, forgive, give, but then do some log inventory, but then go and try to help them. Speak truth. Ephesians 4.25, Paul said, speak the truth in love. Every Christian has that balance, and it's a tough one, folks, even for me. Because if you just do truth, you're going to come across as self-righteous. But if you just do love, you've got a sloppy love that has no boundaries. And anybody can do whatever they want to do, and that's not right either. So people who walk with Jesus walk with that delicate balance when they confront other people with grace and truth. John 1.14, Jesus was filled with grace and truth. We speak the truth in love with grace. That's your best chance for helping a difficult person get well. But hear this. Please hear this. There are some difficult people in your lives who they're not going to change no matter what. And that's why in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus taught this saying, judge not lest you be judged, he gives another verse that's not on the Sermon on the Plain, but is on the Sermon on the Mount. Here it is. Matthew 7, 6. Do not give dogs what is holy... And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, what in the world does that mean? I'm so glad you ask. We have the pearl of the gospel of grace. We have this forgiveness that Jesus has given us. When we go to difficult people and try to extend that grace to help them, sometimes we're going to be rebuffed no matter what. They're going to continue to infringe themselves upon our lives. And here, Jesus is giving permission for every person who has a difficult person hurting their hearts, permission to draw boundaries around your life. 
He's giving you permission to say, no, you cross that line, I'm out of here. Now, Alcoholics Anonymous knows this. There's a triage that has to happen for alcoholics to function. There's got to be the alcoholic, the addict. There's got to be a persecutor. That's the person who constantly tells them, you've got to get well. Why won't you change? And then thirdly, there's got to be an enabler who comes around the victim and says, oh, poor you, you're getting persecuted all the time. And I want to speak to those of you who are the persecutors and the enablers in that triage with an addict in your life. If you don't leave, if you don't remove yourself from the triage, the addict will continue in the addiction. The only way the addict will ever get well is for you and especially the enabler to move out of the relationship and let them fall flat on their face. Until they reach rock bottom, they'll never get well. And as long as they've got the enabler propping them up, and especially the persecutor to whom they can point and go, you're always hurting me, and the enabler goes, oh, poor, poor you, they're going to stay in their addiction. And you have every right as an enabler or a persecutor to step back and say, no more. Here are my boundaries. I'm not going to have my life sucked away from me trying to care for you. I can't do it. I'm not going to take this precious gift of grace God has given me and throw it before you, a swine, a pig. Because eventually the pig eats the pearl and it gets caught in their digestive system and they get angry at the person who cast it in their presence. So draw those boundaries, folks, for your own health, your family's health, for years to come. So don't judge, don't condemn. Forgive, give. Deal with your own logs, but go get the specs after you've done that out of other people's lives. If they don't respond, draw boundaries. And it's quite okay for you to draw those boundaries. In Jesus' name I say this.